Oscar Combs here, and I want to put one rumor to rest, once and for all. The story is that Rafferty's goes all out for sports fans. And let me tell you, it's absolutely true. Confirmed. And fans love Rafferty's right back because the food is so terrific. Serve fresh, serve fast, serve friendly, lunch or dinner. Rafferty's menu is jam-packed with all your favorites. Steaks, prime rib, chicken, ribs, delicious dishes and generous sizes that really satisfy the appetite. So come hang with the sports crowd at Rafferty's. It's the tastiest place in town. Welcome to Conversations with Oscar Combs, presented by Rafferty's and Double Dogs. Episode 60 will profile the life and career of John Wong. As a member of the media, John shares the same passion as you and me about the Wildcats. However, the path into fandom of Kentucky basketball and football was definitely a long trip from China to Taiwan to Lexington. John tells the story of his parents and how they ended up in Lexington and how he immediately immersed himself in the culture of Kentucky basketball. John and Oscar will share their memories of the 1977 Kentucky Wildcats football team and the 1978 national championship team. We'll hear about the great links that John went to listen to the coverage of the Cats from Kaywood Ledford when he was in the military and what it exactly means for our men and women serving in the military to hear the Cats on the Armed Forces Radio Network. John talks with Oscar about being in the media, road stories in the SEC, and a variety of topics when it comes to the Big Blue. John shares his comments on other media members, former players of the Blue and White, and the coaches as well. And who are the five most despicable... I'll let John finish that for you later on. Elvis Presley recorded a song in 1968 called If I Can Dream. John Wong dreamed, and 50 years later, he's living the dream. This is Conversations with Oscar Combs, presented by Rafferty's and Double Dogs, and his guest, John Wong. So often in society, around friends, relatives, business associates, we hear people throwing the term around, just living the dream. And usually that's from people who are thinking about what they're going to do someday down the line, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, when I retire. What does living the dream mean to you? Well, first of all, Oscar, thank you so much for having me. This is a real treat. And I'll be honest with you, I'm a little bit nervous this morning. For the people who are listening, I'm, I'm actually pinching myself right now because I am sitting in studio with the great Oscar Combs getting ready to talk UK sports. If that isn't living the dream, then I don't know what is. But in answer to your question, I think if you looked in the dictionary uh, under living the dream, you would probably see my face because you know I love to write. I also love watching UK sports. So to be able to combine those two passions, to write about UK sports, how great is that? It doesn't get any better than that. I remember the first time I spotted you at Rupp Arena. You were down on the floor. You were actually shooting pictures. I didn't know just recently that you weren't really into photography, but you were shooting for your brother, who, by the way, those pictures I've seen are awesome. So he is a heck of a photographer. 
And but I remember seeing you there on the floor, and, and I'm wondering, uh, you're a fairly attractive young guy. I, I use the young the word young very loosely here because you are retired from dentistry. But you're sitting there on the floor, you're shooting, you've got your ponytail, and <laughs> I'm I'm looking and thinking, I wonder who he's shooting this game for. Is it shooting for some newspaper and Beijing or some newspaper and somewhere else around the world because certainly he's not from here. I haven't seen him around. Yet I discover you've been here quite a while. You went to school at Kentucky. You graduated Kentucky. Uh, how did you feel your, your way down to the Rupp Arena floor? Well, uh, first of all, the don't get caught up in the ponytail. That's relatively recent. <laughs> I lived 30 years as a bona fide professional in society. <laughs> I had to look the part. This ponytail is relatively recent. I'm just being the hippie that I always wanted to be. <laughs> but in, in You waited a little late in the game, didn't uh, you? <laughs> a little bit late in the game. It may be a little bit middle age crisis, and I don't know how long, much longer I'm going to keep it, but uh, it looks the part for right now. You even have the first name, American-type name, John. Let's go back. Uh, you, you were born in China. Give me a little history of your family and how you ended up coming to America. Yeah, my, my parents were both born in southern China. I'm full-blooded Chinese, and in 1949, right before the communists took over, they fled to the nation of Taiwan. It's an island nation about 140, 150 miles off the coast of China. And my sister Mary, my older sister, and I were born there. And in 1963, uh, my mom and dad, they, they left their family. They decided to leave their family. I'm sorry I get a little bit choked up every time I tell this story. But uh, in pursuit of the American dream to try to make a better life for their children and for future generations to come, they decided to move the family and immigrate to the U.S. So my dad, who was a civil engineer at the time, uh, we ended up in Charlottesville, Virginia, where he completed his education, his master's and his Ph.D. in civil engineering. How difficult was it for him and your mother to get to America? Oh, it was, it was very, very difficult. I'm here with somebody who uh, had a basic grasp of English, but certainly wasn't super, super proficient in it. We didn't have any money at the time. My dad came over here, and I remember he subsisted on tuna fish sandwiches for many, many years. <laughs> That's not a bad life. I love tuna fish, too. <laughs> to this day, he, not... won't, he won't eat any tuna oh, fish sandwiches. Right? <laughs> but it was very, very difficult. And, and me being Chinese, there weren't that many Chinese back in the 60s in the States anyway. So, so when you come here, you're six, seven years old? I'm four years old at the time. Four years old? Four years How old. How difficult was it? to learn the English language. Well, when you're a kid, you pick those things up pretty quick. So it wouldn't be as difficult as if you were a little bit older. But I do remember the first time I went outside and saw some kids playing, I tried to speak to them in Chinese. And of course, they couldn't understand me and they probably made fun of me. <laughs> but I learned over the years. And uh, as you can see, I picked up not only a, a good English accent, but a good Kentucky accent. Along with Nothing me. like that. <laughs> so when does your parents end up in Lexington so we are finally granted John well when after my dad completed his PhD in engineering he landed his first job as an assistant professor 
at UK. So in 1967, with my mom pregnant with my younger brother, Michael, we moved to Lexington, and it was at that time that this love affair with UK started. Had, had you ever followed or did you know anything about Kentucky basketball or football until you moved to Lexington? Absolutely nothing. My dad was a pretty good athlete, and he played some basketball back in China. But when he got to UK, obviously with Adolph Rupp, and I think at that time they had four national championships already, the interest began, and I kind of tagged along for the ride. It sort of sounds like you not only become such a big fan coming forward, but you did a little research and you actually accumulated a little of the history before you came here as far as Kentucky basketball. You mean after I moved to Lexington yeah. or beforehand? After. Yeah, after I moved to Lexington, I just jumped right into it. I mean, we, we didn't have any season tickets, but some of the fondest memories I have were of my dad and myself just listening to Kaywood call his games. I mean, I can hear that voice right now. Cool, crisp. He was so descriptive. Kentucky moving from left to right on your radio dial. Those are some of the best years of my life. I remember my dad, he would be doing his lessons. I would be doing homework, and we just listened to the games. Now, this was still the era of Memorial Coliseum. Yes, it was. Uh, did your dad get uh, professor tickets? Did you get, or did you have to sneak in, or did you even get to go to the games? He didn't get any tickets. We didn't have season tickets, but occasionally one of his colleagues would have some extra ones. So I remember maybe two or three times getting down to the Coliseum, and those times I was so excited. I mean, I couldn't sleep for two or three nights beforehand, just waiting to get down there to see my heroes on the hardwood. During that time, did you ever dream? You say you're living your dream now. Did you ever dream back then someday I'm going to go to games. I'm going to travel on the road. I'm going to write about my feelings of what Kentucky basketball, Kentucky football means to me for the public. I wish I could have been that calculated, <laughs> but things just kind of fell into place. It certainly wasn't anything that was, was planned. But as, as, you, as you recount that, I can't help but chuckle because just to be able to to go to UK basketball games now for, for free, for free, <laughs> uh, to be able to have access to all these great athletes, these soon-to-be professional athletes, to be able to speak directly with somebody, the, the stature of a John Calipari. Wow, that's, that's living a dream. i tell you a little story. I was down in Tuscaloosa a couple years ago for – the Kentucky-Alabama football game, and I'm sitting in the press conference. And here I am asking questions to the great Nick Saban. I mean, here I am, John Huang, a nobody in the sports field, a dentist, an orthodontist, and I'm having this exchange with Nicky Satan. Can, can I say that? Sure you can. You're in Kentucky. <laughs> but you might not if you were in Tuscaloosa. It, it's just so, so improbable, Oscar, and, and – uh, just living the dream. Don't wake me up. Now, 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 explain to me, I'm sure your father was going to make sure that you went to college, get a college education, and you decide on dentistry, become an orthodontist. Um, I guess there are other schools that offers dentistry, dental school, but what? why did you – 
choose to stay home and go to Kentucky. Most kids like to get away from their family, got to live on campus. What did Kentucky have that no other school had for you? Well, basically, I didn't have a whole lot of choice. Uh, with Kentucky being an in-state school with in-state tuition, my dad essentially gave me three choices. He said, John, you can go to Kentucky, or you can go to Kentucky, or you can go to <laughs> Kentucky. So being the dutiful Chinese son that I was, I went to the University of Kentucky, and I ended up staying at the University of Kentucky. I, I went there for 11 years, four years of undergraduate, four years of dental school, and then three years of my orthodontic residency. I would have stayed longer if they'd let me because it meant I could go to UK football and basketball <laughs> games for free. So you, uh, you go to high school here? Yeah, Tate Street graduate, spirit of 76. I guess that was uh, our, our good friend Roy Walton was over there at the time. Dom Fusey played during, mm -hmm. during that period. And then you go to Kentucky in 1977. Was it your good luck that gave them that year in football and basketball? Oh, Fall of 77, 10 and 1, national championship in basketball. What do you remember about that? Yeah, those were really, really golden years. And, and speaking of golden, the, the goose was golden. Of course, that's my, my most fondest memory is that 78 championship because that was essentially the first one that I had, had lived through. And uh, the football team during that time, I'll tell you, there was that one stretch where Kentucky went on the road in the Southeastern Conference, that 77 team, I'm sure you remember, but they were playing LSU. And there was a field goal attempt that LSU was trying to kick, and, and uh, Kentucky blocked it. I, I think it was Richard Jaffe. I'm not sure, but then Art still, the big old defensive end, picks it up and just lumbers down the field for a touchdown, and Kentucky wins. 33 to 13, I believe. And then the very next week, Kentucky goes on the road to Athens between the hedges, Sanford Stadium, and puts a whooping on the Bulldogs, shut them out 33 to nothing. And that was a game that Prince Charles of Great Britain was in the stands. Now, you tell me a Kentucky football team that can go on the road and kick butt in the SEC against good competition. I don't think there's been one, and there may and, not be one. And just before those two games, they be upset a top ten Penn State team. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember uh, all of those because that was the second year that I'd come to Lexington and start to catch balls and on the uh, block field goal kick. Uh, I interviewed a kicker after the game. In Bat it was played in Baton Rouge, and he was about 5'7". And it looked like when Steel picked up the ball that the kicker was right there. That You know, he could catch him. Steele's a big old guy. This little guy. And he took off, and you could see him gaining on him the first 15 yards. Then all of a sudden, it just sort of like he slowed down. And after the game, they said, why didn't you, why didn't you catch him? It looked like you could catch him. He said, I couldn't have tackled him if I'd caught him. <laughs> <laughs> that was a smart guy. And and then in the uh, in the Georgia game, uh, the great thing about that is before the game, they had a ceremonial coin toss with Prince Charles. Well, I don't it's ceremonial, but it was a real coin toss too. So they were introducing the players to each of the opponents' players and to Prince Charles. And they introduced 
Prince Charles to Derek Ramsey and to Art Steele. And Prince Charles, young Prince Charles, turns around and looks up at Art Steele and says, my, you're a big one. And he says, if you're ever in London, be sure to look me up. And Art Steele came back with the famous words, well, I go down to London quite frequently. Where do you live down there? <laughs> and he was speaking of London, Kentucky, right, yeah. when Prince Charles was thinking of London, England. But but anyway, you, you go through that season. Tell me a little about it, how you as a student was feeling because they were on probation. They could not go to a bowl game that year. Well, it, it broke my heart because, like I said, I think that team was probably the most competitive team that Kentucky has, has maybe ever had within the conference it's, itself. And it's it, it just kind of breaks my heart. I, I don't have very, very many football memories. I think my memory is a lot more selective because there are a lot of things about the football team that I, I want to forget. So when a team like that gets so close and isn't able to to, to compete, it's, it's a little bit disappointing. And we go to the basketball season that year. Your senior year in high school, you're watching Kentucky play North Carolina in the Elite Eight over in College Park, Maryland. Yeah. They were so close. Well, wow, that was the, the Four Corners game with, yes. with Dean Smith and uh, the time that he allegedly hit Rick Roby up the side of the head. And well, he didn't actually hit him. He called him an SOB. Oh, okay. Yeah. And he did because I was sitting 12 feet away. <laughs> but, no, one, one of the hardest defeats ever, and to this day I still just can't stand the University of North Carolina. That sort of Carolina blue. Oh, Please. Uh, we go to the 77-78 season. Uh, what a run. It was fantastic. And I think I kind of gravitate toward teams that have a cluster of, of players that have been around for a while. You know, I remember the Super Kittens three years earlier, you know, with, with Kevin Grevy and Jimmy Dan Connor and Bob Guyette, who subsequently went to dental school. I think he was a couple of years behind me. And Been he very be successful, Dennis. Yeah, he became Think out uh, in Arizona. Or yeah, he was, he's an, uh, an oral surgeon out yeah. in Arizona. And then Mike Flynn, uh, Steve Lockmuller, G.J. Smith, Jerry Hale. I've gotten to know Jerry a little bit better over the years. But to me, I'm just an average Joe, and he's Jerry Hale. He played for the Super Kittens. So there's still an aura around Jerry that I don't think I'll ever be able to, to, to get over. But, yeah, the 78 team, Roby, Phillips, Givens, Lee, I think they called him Silk and Steel, King and Kong. There was even a song about that, yeah, right? King, King and Kong, Kong yeah. Silk and Steel. Yeah. Sorry, I promised I wouldn't sing. <laughs> but you throw in a Kyle Macy, you know, somebody, a floor general like that, and – that team, they said it was a season without celebration. But I sure as heck celebrated after they won the championship. <laughs> Were you at, at the airport Louis. that morning? I was not. I was not. I was, uh, I was pretty nerdy. I was studying probably. Had big exams the next day. So, uh, Take me a little bit through your last three years at UK and um, as a student. Okay. I At that point, I had pretty much decided that I wanted to become a dentist. When I was a little bit younger, my best friend, Bruce Barnes, he lived in the neighborhood, and his dad had this riding lawnmower that he would cut his grass with. 
And I looked at that lawnmower and I thought that was just the greatest thing. So I told myself at that time, if he's somebody who's a dentist, his dad was a dentist, and he can afford a riding lawnmower, then I want to be a dentist. So at that point, I decided I wanted to be a dentist. Now, the irony of all that is, Oscar, I'm 58 years old. I Today. still haven't owned a riding lawnmower yet. <laughs> but I'm not dead yet, so maybe down the line there's still a John Deere in, in, in my future. But, uh, yeah, my, my college years were spent just studying. Education was a huge thing in my family. My, my mom and dad always said, okay, we brought you over here. American dream. Your job is to study hard, make A's. Don't bring home any B's now. Okay, get into professional school, become a doctor, a lawyer, some sort of professional, and make a name for yourself that way. So after your 11 years here, uh, where'd you go from that? All right, uh, there was a little bit of a break in between. Uh, I graduated dental school in 1983, and at that time they hadn't instituted the student lottery distribution system yet. So some of the coldest nights I've ever spent have been out on the pavement in front of Memorial Coliseum just waiting for student ticket distribution because it was first come first serve at that, that time. So I get through those eight years and then I go into the military. There's about a 10 year stint in which I'm a dentist. Uh, I'm with the Army Dental Corps and I'm serving in all these various duty locations as an Army dentist. And your connection of the Armed Forces Network, did Kaywood ever call any of those games on the Armed Forces Network, or do you recall? Well, since 1967, this was the first time I had been away from home. So I had moved down to South Carolina. That was my first duty station. Uh, by the way, it was great. I had everything I needed. I was away from home for the first time. I had a red Camaro. I had a stereo sound system. I had an apartment on the lake. Things were great. The one thing that wasn't great was that I couldn't pick up any UK games anymore. I mean, this was the age before the Internet, before Twitter, before iHeartRadio. So when I met my future wife, bless, bless her heart, it didn't take her more than two days to know that hey, there might be something wrong with this guy. Because every single time that Kentucky was playing, I would get in my car, I would drive around Columbia, South Carolina to find the places that could pick up WHAS radio. That was a 50,000 watt, and they would broadcast Kwood over there. So that was my, my first realization that, ooh, this, I'm going to have to work in order to be able to pick up these, these games. Then it gets worse when I get sent overseas. I spent three years in Germany. You're talking thousands of miles away. The only thing that saved me was this publication. You may have heard of it, Oscar. It's called the Cat's Paws. What kind of publication <laughs> was that? that sounds, was it for cats, lovers? Uh, uh, it was everything I needed. It was my fix for Kentucky basketball. Of course, I had to wait for it. <laughs> it was about 10 days, maybe two weeks later, I'd get the news later. But when I received it at the APO address, the Army Post Office box address, it was like gold in my hands. I would peruse every single one of those pages. I would read all the write-ups. I would look at every one of the box scores. Uh, Oscar, I can honestly say that 
you saved my life. Well, you made mine. <laughs> and then occasionally, uh, Kaywood, they would have Kaywood broadcasts on the Armed Forces Network. They were few and far between, and because we were seven hours ahead, they would always be early in the morning. But every time Kaywood and Kentucky came on the Armed Forces Radio Network overseas, I would be tuned in. Do, do you think military people today or people like you in the military overseas can appreciate how well they have it to watch all these games live and not have to wait for tape delay and things like that like, like you did? They are definitely, definitely spoiled. But if there's a group of people that deserve to be spoiled, it's, our, it's the people in the armed forces. I mean, they do great things, and if, if there's a way in which we can keep them connected to what they're passionate about back home, then, then we need to do that. And, and publications like the Cat Spas did that for people like me at that particular time. You return to Lexington, dentistry. What was it like when you got back? Had, had things changed much? Uh, not a whole lot. Uh, the, the passion was still there, but the Sutton years were, were over, thankfully, and Patino had, had come on board. And I was still as, as crazy as ever. Being overseas and being detached didn't decrease my fandom at all. There was one story, I've got to tell you this, it was the night of February 26th, 1991. And the reason I remember that day so clearly is it's the night my daughter was born and Kentucky was playing uh, Alabama at that time and that was the night that Rick Pitino came out in the plaid sports jacket you remember that he was mocking playfully mocking Wim Sanderson, Sanderson yeah yes. who, who always wore wore plaid and so we were in the military station in Fort Polk still and uh, my wife who was struggling as she was struggling with labor I was camped out in the waiting room of Bang Jones Army Community Hospital just watching a meaningless SEC game between Kentucky and Alabama it's not something I'm real real proud of Oscar but that's kind of the way things shook out and the story has a happy ending my daughter was born she was healthy my wife and I were still married after 33 years and then the most important thing, Kentucky won that night. <laughs> when, when you came back here and you went into dentistry, and you are now, have now been retired how long? Yeah, I've retired about three years now. Okay. So I, I practice. At that point, I was going back to school. That was when I went to my orthodontic residency to become mm -hmm. a specialist in orthodontist. Okay. And then I practiced orthodontist for, orthodontics for 20 years here in Lexington. So, so you retired at roughly 55 years old. Correct. At what point in time did you start thinking, you know, I, I need to get in a little bit deeper in this big blue nation bed. I, I, I need to contribute in some form. I need to be a journalist. Most journalists have gone through training, courses in college, uh, there, there are people who are self-made. You, you sort of self-taught, but when you start thinking, I'd like to do something different. Well, I'm under no illusions at all. I 
don't have any journalism training. I don't have a journalism degree. Uh, I'm never going to be John Clay or Mark Story or Jerry Tipton or Jen Smith. Uh, I've got a little bit different in a niche than those people. I'm, I'm kind of writing more from a fan's perspective. So when the opportunity came along to contribute in some way with some sort of column writing for NOLA Media, which is the outlet that, that, that picked me up, uh, I decided to kind of go that route. And, and over time, people have read my stuff, and they seem to enjoy it. I mean, I tell everybody that you can get scores and statistics anywhere. But me, I'm writing, I'm writing about experiences. I want to write about emotions. I want to take you with me as we're watching these games. I want to bring you the highs and lows, the thrills, the chills, the headaches, the heartaches of, of BBN. And I'm, I'm hoping I'm doing that. And, and you're not very shy about being critical in a, a non-nasty way. I mean, you, you, you can be very critical of a decision or a policy and yet not really offend the person you're talking about. Is that a special? Um... I, th I think that's just part of upbringing. You want to be respectful toward people. Uh, I think diplomacy has always been one of my strong suits. I don't like conflict at all. But on the other hand, I've got a pretty curious mind. I want to know. So when I'm asking these people these questions, when, when I ask Coach Cal, why he feels the way he does, and if he's having fun. If I ask Coach Mingione, if uh, why why do you feel the way you do when when you've had such a successful year and the fans are still grumbling? You know, when I throw out questions that that make Rachel Lawson, softball coach Rachel Lawson, cry, uh, I don't mean to do that. I, I just I just want to know their answer. And how am I going to know their answer unless I ask them the question? I know some of the early press conferences that I was at that that you were at. Uh, you you would always seem maybe to ask the question that maybe I shouldn't say normal, but trained journalists would either ah, I don't want to go there, or they were a bit timid, or let somebody else answer that. And often before you were around, they did go unasked. I wish I could take more credit for for being bold and and having the guts to do that, but. Maybe you could just I mean, attribute it to ignorance. Maybe so, I just don't know. Sometimes a coach will make an off-the-cuff comment like, everybody says, yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh. And you come back and say, did you really mean that? Yeah. yeah, and sometimes they'll fire right back. There was one time with Coach Cal when he looked just really, really frazzled. You know how you get into the season and he looks like he's just been beat down. And he's talking about the stresses of, of coaching Kentucky and things we've all heard before. And then I just came flat out and said, Coach, are, are you okay? You know, are you still having fun? And I'll never forget I remember this. the last thing with the key there was, are you still having fun? Yeah. I'll never forget this, Oscar. But, uh, but Cal, he, he, he looks directly at me and he says, I'm having as much fun as a root canal. And he pauses. He pauses about half a second, just enough to start making me think, is he making a direct reference yeah. to me as being well, a basically dentist? Basically, what he says, I know that you were a dentist, or you, you are a dentist. Yeah, because you know? at that time, I thought, this yeah. guy doesn't know me for, from Adam, but I've since learned that 
Cal is pretty calculated. He, he is very, very intentional in everything he says. Uh, he's, he does a lot of background checking in, in who you are. He knew so. who that Chinese with a ponytail <laughs> sitting in the back was. And he knew that, he, hey, this is a homeboy. He's yeah. here 365, so I can't write him off as this is his one trip to Lexington, and he's back in China. Well, I'm, I'm glad they didn't throw me out. <laughs> uh, let's talk a little bit about your travels throughout the southeast. I, I know you've written a couple of times. I think there was one trip uh, a year or two ago, and it was either South Carolina or Georgia, and you drove there, and somehow you managed to do sightseeing in a couple states that you didn't need to go through to get to the game, but yet you chose to do that and write about it. Yeah, yeah, there are actually two trips that really stand out in my mind in that regard. Uh, I think the one you're referencing was a trip down to Georgia, and I made it with Keith Taylor. Keith's a great guy, and he was one of the first guys to really, really take me under his arm. And Keith and, is another writer who covers UK. Yeah, he is. And, and he kind of showed me the rope. So I went down there with Keith, and, and I said, well, you know, sure, there's a ball game to cover, but let's go, let's go have some fun. So we stop along the way, and we're enjoying food. And I think he and, sort of maybe got lost a time or two on driving. Yeah, yeah. We took his car, and not only – did he kind of weave around and, and we get lost in the mountains because sometimes you take these routes and your phone GPS doesn't work anymore. Uh, but also on the way back, he let me drive. And unfortunately I, I contributed to the, uh, the Georgia highway department with a little bit of a speeding ticket, but that made for good theater also. So uh, the other trip was uh, we went down to Mississippi state for a football game. By the way, one of my goals is to be able to hit all these SEC road venues at least once. I think I'm more than halfway through, but I went down there with uh, another great guy, Lonnie Demery. And uh, we were an odd combination. You know, he's African-American. I'm the Chinese guy with the ponytail. And we're driving around in the back roads of, of, back roads of Alabama. And it was, <laughs> it was like rush hour two or three or four. What were the experiences like at both Georgia and Mississippi State once you got to the campuses and the game and the atmosphere around the stadiums that were maybe somewhat different from what you would expect at Kentucky? A lot of these campuses are beautiful places. They're always, uh, most of them are, are small towns that you probably wouldn't ever make a point to get to unless you were going to these games. But the passion there, especially when Kentucky basketball comes into town, uh, it's unmatched. Calipari says where everybody's Super Bowl, every single one of these stadiums that you go into, they're out for blood. They want to win. This is their one game of the year. So um, it's you're in enemy territory. There's no way around that. That's the SEC. It's hard to win on the road. Uh, your first tournament that you've covered, whether it be the SEC or the NCAA. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I went, I believe my first SEC tournament officially as media was the year before last. And – I find myself sitting on press row on national TV right behind Dick Vitale's bald head. Now, where was this at? This was down in Nashville. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was down in Nashville just uh, the last mm -hmm. couple of years. Mm -hmm. 
And it's just another one of these instances, Oscar, where you got to just almost step out of your body and look down on yourself and say, how in the world did this ever happen? Well, what kind of experience did you feel when you walked in uh, to the SEC tournament there and walked back in where the press room was at and, and all the setup and everything that perhaps you'd only seen on TV? Yeah, it, it was it was big time. And, you know, you're down there with, with the Dickie V, with Brad Nessler, uh, with Joe Tessitore, uh, Laura Rutledge, all those people that you normally see on TV. And here you are, you're using the, the same bathrooms as they are. Well, well, not Laura Rutledge, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Uh, you, uh, you go on the road, uh, and you've been at Commonwealth Stadium, obviously, many, many times. And at Rupp Arena, do do you what do you see in a typical Kentucky fan? How would you describe a Kentucky football fan and a Kentucky basketball fan? I think they're probably more similar than people realize. I've always loved Kentucky football. I just wish they would win a little bit more. And I think Kentucky fans are are the same way. They want nothing more than than to win. You see the passion that goes, the big blue following, the mist that people always talk about when Kentucky basketball goes on the road. It's the same for football. If they could ever string together a really, really good winning season, I think you're going to see just as much passion from the football fan base as you do from the basketball fan base. I'd like for you to describe to me uh, the similarities, the differences, and say we always hear – People talk about Rupp Arena, how dead it can be at times uh, when it's not a marquee game. And we talk about the so-called fat cats, wealthy, rich people down low won't get up and, and cheer. Uh, do you see a difference in the fat cat fan, the wealthy fan versus the common fan, number one? And number two is, do you see a difference in fans – that come from rural Kentucky versus fans who come from urban Kentucky? Answer to your first question, I've been kind of a fat cat or maybe a pretend fat cat. There was several years ago in which I took out a second mortgage and sacrificed my only daughter just so that I could sit really, really down low. And it was, it was a little bit different. I would still get up and cheer and yell at the refs and so forth, but there was a definite difference. The people around me not only didn't cheer, but they had a tendency when you did cheer, you'd kind of get the stink eye. Calm down a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. sit you down so we can see. when you get through. Yeah, you know. so I think there is a definite difference from that standpoint. Uh, in regard to your second question, I really can't tell a whole lot of difference. I know passionate fans who are from urban areas. I know passionate fans who are from, from the far reaches, the hollers of eastern Kentucky. They've got one common factor. They want to see Kentucky win. That's what makes them happy. Kentucky being a so-called rural southern state, um, how much – do you give the fact that Kentucky sports, particularly, like it or not, Kentucky basketball, how important is that to the lives of Kentuckians in a state where 
they don't seem to have a whole lot that they can brag about to the outside world. Yeah, you, you hit the nail on the head, Oscar. That is probably the one thing that we can be the most proud of. I've traveled a lot around the world. I've been stationed in different places. And when I tell people I'm from Kentucky, I, I get probably three answers. Uh, the first one and most common is Kentucky Fried Chicken. All right. Uh, Did it bother you when they went from Kentucky Fried Chicken to KFC? uh, Probably. It still tasted just as good to me. (laughs) Uh, And then the second was uh, the Kentucky Derby. Mm -hmm. And then the third was was Kentucky Basketball. And I've since learned over the years that a lot of people who are not from here are jealous of Kentucky Basketball. People hate us. Uh, I had one NCO tell me flat out right after he saluted me. He said, sir... Everybody hates Kentucky. They're just a bunch of cheaters. So that's kind of the... Uh, <laughs> and that was in what year now? Uh, that was after the uh, Emory package and the, uh, the, the Chris Mills payment. Oh, okay. Alleged payment, right? If, uh, what, what kind of advice would you give to Coach Cal if he says, what could I do better? He does a lot of great things. Uh, the thing that probably irks me the most, and, and I, don't, I don't disagree with the premise, the principle behind it, but his player's first philosophy, I think we should adhere to it. I think student athletes, they should take top priority. But I just wish he wouldn't harp on it so much. You know, there's a section of the fan base that really, really enjoys the fact that all these people are going to the NBA. That's great. That's great for our program. That's great for recruiting. But when it comes right down to it, when you're a fan, you want to win. You want national championships. So uh, I'm thinking, and I'm sure Cal knows, the two aren't mutually exclusive. <laughs> but just don't, don't focus so much on this player's first aspect, at least publicly so much. Uh, Pay a little bit more attention to Joe Average Pan and his quest for championship number nine. Same question, Mark Stoops. Yeah. Ah, Mark Stoops, it's it's hard for me to comment on on Mark because he's a neighbor of mine. So we've had a lot of uh, consults right by his mailbox already about the direction of the team. But Does he listen? I think he listens. Uh, he doesn't do what I say, but I think he <laughs> listens. Uh, he, he gets it. Let me just say that, that he gets it. He, he appreciates uh, how much the Big Blue Nation supports his team. He just needs to beat Florida a couple of times here, and everything will be fine. Most exciting Kentucky basketball game that you have seen in person? Oh, the, the one that really jumps out in my mind was back in, I think it was the 80-81 season when Kentucky was playing LSU. LSU had a great team that year. They had Ethan Martin, Rudy Macklin, uh, Greg Cook, those guys. Dale Brown was a coach. And they had swept through the season the conference season undefeated so this was the last game last chance for somebody to knock them off 
and Rupp Arena was, was rocking that day. You hear over the years, there are a few times that Rupp Arena actually just rises up and gets a whole life of its own. That was one of them. I've heard people since then say that, hey, this is the loudest Rupp has ever been. You've heard that, you know, That's Sean Prince. From the millennials. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I can tell you for sure, Rupp Arena was the loudest on that particular day when Kentucky beat LSU. There was one play. I remember it as if it were yesterday where Dirk Minifield's coming up court. Before he gets to the half-court line, he throws this long looping pass to Sam Bowie, an alley-oop, and Sam just slams it through. And Rupp Arena, I thought it was going to explode. My heart was exploding that day. Most exciting time I've ever had. Same thing for football. Most exciting game. Uh, probably the Tim Couch to Craig East. Uh, Alabama, turns out that they weren't the typical Alabama team that they usually were, but at that particular time, it was a signature win, and to be able to go down on the field and rush the field and the goalposts and all that, that, that was an exciting time. Most disappointing U.K. basketball game? I remember the losses, it seems like, a lot more than, than the wins. The losses really, really hurt me, so there, there are a, a few of these. The first one was when I was about, I think about 10, and I was at a birthday party. Uh, it was a bowling party, so kids were there. They were bowling, throwing balls into the gutter, eating ice cream cake, and Kentucky was playing uh, an NCAA game. They were playing Jacksonville that day. That was a game that Dan Issel fouled out, or the Phantom foul, Vaughn Wedeking, and a couple other players fouled out afterwards. But while all the kids were watching the game, I were, were playing bowling, I was just glued in front of this little TV at the bowling alley, just watching my cats go down. It just broke my heart afterwards. I really think that's the best team that never made it to the Final uh, Four. Yeah. But they lost to a good team. Yes. Uh, it was Jacksonville with Artis Gilmore, Pembroke Burroughs, and that guy, uh, those guys. But, uh, yeah, it was 106 to 100. Uh, I always remember that. Of course, I, I remember the, the Leitner shot too you know that's always going to uh to kill you i was at fort polk at the time stationed at fort polk louisiana and one of the hardest things about being away is during losses there's really nobody to commiserate with and after leitner hit that shot uh, i remember my neighbor who was a, a medical doctor one of the nicest guys you'll ever find he came over and he tried to talk to me hey john uh, it's a great game you ought to be proud of your kentucky wildcats and I just wanted to punch his lights out. I didn't want anybody to talk to me. I wanted to sequester myself in a monastery and just, uh, like Coach Cal, I needed about 24, 48 hours to, to recover from, from that. So, so that was disappointing. And certainly the, uh, the Wisconsin loss. Yeah. When, when you get that close, NCAA championships are hard to win. And to win one in such a historic fashion, going 40-0, and 0, and be so close to be favored to win it and to not come through, just doubly, doubly disappointing. Most disappointing Kentucky football loss? They're building up. I think it's all the Florida games. Uh, I swore I would never, ever pick Kentucky to beat Florida, and yet in the past couple of years that they played, I picked Kentucky to win. 
after they lost last time, I said never again. So I'd say probably the last Florida loss when Coach Stoops didn't cover the receivers. Um, that was probably my most disappointing loss. Overall, the most exciting UK sporting event, regardless of sport. Um, it'd be real easy to pick pick basketball because there's there's so much invested in that. It seems like the highs are higher and the lows are are, are lower. But over the past couple of years, I've really enjoyed covering women's softball. I mean, that's a game that has a great pace to it. The, uh, the players are always very, very engaging. They have stories to tell. It's a heck of a lot easier to interview them than it is to interview basketball players and, and their one-word answers and, and so forth. I uh, love Coach Lawson. I think she's great. But to see women's softball, it almost portrays amateur sports as you really, really want it to be. Those girls are playing for the love of the game, and there's something to admire and respect about something like that. Most disappointing UK sporting event. You mean in terms of uh, the, the the worst game of any sport? I mean, we've talked about football and basketball. Is one of those the worst UK sporting event that you've attended? I'm just sort of categorizing all the sports together. Which one event at any one of those sports? I think it's at events in which the intent of the sport is somehow mitigated. For example, we talked about North Carolina and their four corners. Uh, I think there was a game against, was it Cincinnati? Yes, that, that 84. They, yeah, they just slowed the game down. Uh, both of those games, because they didn't play the game, that was disappointing. And then certainly the Georgetown national semifinal game in Seattle where – for some reason, the basketball gods just weren't shining down on Kentucky. They shot three for 33. Joe V called it some sort of extra celestial event. Uh, that was heartbreaking, also. So now, now I'm getting depressed, Oscar. We gotta, we gotta quit this. <laughs> no, we're just getting started. Well, we're gonna get some of the good parts now. I want to ask you about some of these people uh, that you have uh, watched. You've interacted with some of them uh some of them is current some are a few years ago but i'm just going to give you some names and you just give me a little reflection on why they are special in your memory okay good i i hope i don't say anything i'm not supposed to say let's start out with uh, jim kovach jim kovach uh, linebacker back in the mid to late 70s i believe uh, then he went on to a pretty illustrious NFL career. And New thing, Orleans Saints. Yeah. Yeah, I think he played for San Francisco, too. Yeah. And He was on the first cover of the Cat's Paws ever. Is that right? With I, his wife and his newborn child in September 1976. Oh. That's, that's interesting because the, the one thing that was really, really unique about Jim was he later went to medical school at UK. Mm -hmm. I think he went to... He took the classes in between off seasons mm -hmm. uh, while he was in the NFL, and he was in medical school when I was in dental school. So at that time, the dental students and the medical students, they shared a locker room. So I would run into Jim occasionally, but uh, I think later on he even 
went to law school. He went to Stanford and got his law degree. So you're talking about a guy who played college football in the SEC. He played for the National Football League. He went to medical school, and he became a lawyer. That's a full life. Art Steele. Uh, Art Steele. He he was a, a character back in his UK days, and from what I understand, he's even more of a character right now. But what do I remember, Art? I'll, I'll stick to... I'll stick to his exploits on the football field. Probably my, my most fondest memory is when he returned that that uh, blocked field goal for the touchdown against LSU that we talked about. Mike Pratt. Ah, Mike. Mike Pratt was, was underappreciated, I think, in his playing days. Uh, it was probably that, that – first team with him and Issel and Mike Casey that really got me into UK basketball. And I think Mike Pratt could have scored 20 or 30 points a game if he didn't have There's somebody. He was a little bulldog, too. Yeah. yeah, he was tough. You wanted him on your team. But I guess when you have Dan Issel on your team, you have to defer a little bit. And so I respect Mike for deferring. He, he probably doesn't remember this, but about five or Ten years ago, we had him read some copy for our orthodontic practice, some marketing materials. And I don't think he could ever pronounce my name correctly when he <laughs> read that. So, so Mike, I love you, but it's Huang, Dr. Huang. <laughs> He's great on those radio broadcasts. I mean, we're really, really lucky to have him and Tom. Mike Phillips, the late Mike Phillips. Uh, yeah, uh, just lost them way way too early and when they had the 78 reunion this past year to hear some of those guys talk about them and just get emotional it showed you how close that team was and how they felt about them when when goose given started talking about him and started tearing up i i just about lost it myself and um, i remember mike because he went to to college at the same time that i did during during those days and uh, the first time i ever saw him was at the student center once again, I'm just this average Joe student, and here's Mike Phillips, basketball player for the University of Kentucky. Big, hulking guy, 6'11", you know, probably went 250, 260. And I don't know why, but the thing I remember was he had, he had this bag of potato chips stuffed in the back of his jeans pocket. And so I would just follow him around the student center, just looking at those potato chips and <laughs> recounting that story that, that sounds a little bit creepy right now maybe that was the beginning of my stalking days <laughs> James Brightman oh yeah James he he was another guy who probably didn't fulfill the potential that we thought he was super super athletic my connection with him is when I was a this shows you what a small world it is. When I was stationed over in Germany as a dentist, my dental assistant ended up being his niece. So she was super, super impressed by how much I knew about <laughs> her uncle. But it shows you not only how small the world is, but how big Big Blue Nation is. You're always going to find somebody, some sort of connection, no matter where you travel. Goose Gibbons. Ah, the goose. He was golden. Who can forget those 41 points against, against Duke? And such a nice guy. I had the honor and the pleasure of spending a couple hours with him just 
uh, enjoying, how should I say it, enjoying Beale Street down in Memphis a couple years ago during one of the tournament runs. And just uh, just so cordial, just so respectful. He's, he's a great ambassador to have, not only for the University of Kentucky, but for the entire state of Kentucky and for Big Blue Nation. Kenny Walker. Got to know Kenny a little bit better during this, this media gig. I sat beside him a couple of games. He'll talk your ear off. I had a running commentary the entire 40 minutes, but I learned more than I ever have sitting beside Kenny. Uh, I really respect how he's able to, to really treat the fans really well. I never had an instance in which somebody came up to him and, and Kenny refused. He, he always signs autographs, always takes time to, to talk to you. To me, though, he's, he's always going to be Skywalker, you know, slam dunk champion, NBA. That little preview video they show at Rupp before they introduce the players when, when, when Kenny slams it through, I'm, I'm still getting chills over that right, right now. Rex Chapman. I didn't get to watch Rex a whole lot. He played during the time that I was stationed overseas, so I do remember. You do know that he was King Rex, so. I knew he was King Rex. He, he uh, for some reason, I don't know if it was broadcast over the Armed Forces Network or I later saw a videotape, but I did see his coming out party against Louisville, I think his freshman year when we, when we killed the Cardinals. And yeah, King Rex, Boy Wonder, all that, exciting times, great for the program. Roderick Rhodes. I always have a soft spot in my heart for these players who just had so much potential and yet may not have fill, filled them at the time at, uh, at UK. If you remember, when Roderick came out of high school, uh, he and Jason Kidd were like the top two players in the nation. And we all know what a great career Jason Kidd had. Roderick struggled. He struggled at UK. You remember those, those that time he missed the free throws against Arkansas and just melted down? And, you know, and, and, and the thing with, with Roderick, his first year, Rick recruiting him said, you know, if you come to Kentucky, we'll play in New York. We'll play in Madison Square Garden. And his freshman year, he went up there, and he was struggling to get started. And Rick started in the ECAC Festival. I forget the two opponents. They were from up east. And he was the MVP. And everybody thought, boy, this is the launching pad. And like you said, he struggled after that. Yeah, he, he did. And, and later on, uh, he transferred to, what, USC, I think? Yeah, he struggled there. He struggled in the pros. And my understanding, he's, he's still having some struggles right now. So he's faced a lot of challenges. But he seems to just have this spirit about him where he just keeps coming back. And, and you have to admire somebody like that. A guy who, if he just had good ankles in one game, Keith Bogans. Yeah, that's another one. You talk about disappointing losses. Uh, Keith Bogans also underappreciated. Here's a guy who's one of the top scorers in the history of U.K. basketball. And yet, uh, I don't think he probably gets the respect that, that he deserves. But that year when I think that Kentucky was seeded number one of all the yes. teams. So they well, were Unfortunately, ran into Dwayne Wade. Yeah, and Dwayne Marquette. Wade in Marquette, and he, in and Wisconsin. He had, and he had the sprained ankle. Yeah, you throw in a sprained ankle and just one of the more disappointing losses of the Tubby era, in my mind, with Keith. 
we get up near the present now, John Wall. Yeah, John Wall changed the direction of Kentucky basketball. You know, that 20 seconds or 30 seconds when he did that John Wall dance, uh, that did probably more for recruiting players and fans to Big Blue Nation than anything else that's ever been on YouTube. So more power to him. I sort of think of two different combos as the greatest one-two punches in Kentucky basketball history. The first one being Cliff Hagen and Frank Ramsey. The second one, I have to go to John Wall and DeMarcus Cousins. DeMarcus Cousins. Yeah, DeMarcus, boy, you talk about somebody who uh, has almost two different, I won't say personalities, but people perceive him in two different ways. On one hand, he's just this big, lumbering thug of a player who will kind of throw an elbow, grab a rebound, hit you in the face. And then on the other hand, he seems to have just this huge teddy bear heart, you know, just very, very civic-minded. And I think you can have both. I think you can channel that good personality off the court and yet have that big, tough guy personality on the court, and I think that's what DeMarcus had. And the amazing thing, it really started coming together for him when he was traded to New Orleans and united with Anthony Davis. And who knows what they would have been by the end of the season had he not got hurt in January. Because the Pelicans recruit very nicely, but I don't think there's anyone that would confuse the fact that they'd been a whole lot better if Cousins had been there. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that one-two punch there would have been fantastic. And the thing we tend to forget is how young these guys are. I mean, they've still got a long, long way in their career to do a whole lot of things. You talked about Anthony Davis. Here's where great minds think alike, Oscar. I've heard you say that Anthony Davis was the greatest player to ever wear the blue and white. I agree with you. I mean, he could do so many things to help the team. Rebound, score, block shots. When he wasn't scoring, he was blocking shots. When he wasn't blocking shots, he was, he was rebounding. You know, modern-day people likes to pin that greatest ever on somebody they've seen play, and the more recent, the better. And the old-timers veer the other way. But one guy who was an old-timer, Billy Ray Licker, class of 61 at Kentucky, told Bo and me on a podcast, when I asked him the question, who's the greatest ever? And I thought he would go back to maybe somebody on a fabulous five, or perhaps Hagen or Ramsey or perhaps Bill Spivey. And he came up with Anthony Davis. And I thought that's the greatest compliment Anthony Davis could have for somebody wow. who played in the 50s and 60s yeah. to say he was the greatest. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm still looking for the next latest and greatest to come along. Hope springs eternal. Uh, football, this fall, all eyes are on Benny Snell. Ah, Benny, when, when I interview Benny, I perceive somebody who is a very, very driven, very focused, very, very passionate. And the thing is, he performs the exact same way on the football field. So there's no hypocrisy when talking about somebody like Benny Snell. He may end up being the best running back ever in the history of Kentucky. 
if he has a good year this year. Let, let, let's jump over to three or four names that are integral to UK sports, either in a in their um, chosen field. Uh, let's go back and talk to about a guy who was really instrumental in the marketing of Kentucky sports going back to the early 70s, Jim Host. Oh, Jim, yeah. Jim, I really, really admire and respect his business acumen. I mean, here was a guy who, who took a, a sports company and built it into this huge international conglomerate. I mean, we can all remember Host Communications. That was on every radio broadcast at that time. So I ran a business for, for 20 years. Uh, my orthodontic practice wasn't anywhere near the level of something that Jim ran, but I know how difficult that can be. And in the interest of, of full disclosure, Jim's also a neighbor of mine. <laughs> you seem so, to live in a very lively neighborhood. Well, well, it, it can get kind of kind of interesting sometimes. Anybody on the 10 most wanted lists a neighbor? Uh, I can't disclose that. <laughs> but I don't look at Jim as this hugely, highly successful business magnet, even though he, he obviously is. I just look at him as this retired guy who rolls out his Herbies to the street the same as everybody else on the neighborhood. Him and Pat, his wife, just just really, really nice people. Throw out a media name to you, Jerry Tipton. Oh, uh, Jerry, Jerry's been doing this uh, a long time. Just a super, super hard worker. He's always the first one there. Um, I've read his, his columns throughout the time that I've been growing up. I've enjoyed them. Some people might say that Jerry might tend to be a little bit negative toward Kentucky and the Kentucky program. If you ask Jerry, I think he would just tell you, hey, I'm just reporting it as I see it. And what more can you ask? I think the, the greatest theater ever in the history of uh, media events was just this past year during media day. when You remember when, when Jerry was uh, shouting out at Coach Cal, hey, this isn't Coach's Day, this is media day. Answer my question. Uh, I hope we have a repeat of that this year. So. Uh, let's go to radio. Matt Jones. <laughs> um, I got to be careful what I say here. Uh, Matt and I have a very, very interesting relationship. Uh, when we sit down at ball games, we almost never watch the game. We're always talking about things like gun control or immigration or health care reform. Uh, at one of the basketball games before, uh, I think it was this year, you know how they had these round tables. You're sitting around these round tables. And Matt sits beside me, and I start lecturing him on the caloric content of all the M&Ms he's eating. He says he's trying to lose weight, and I say, Matt, you shouldn't try to eat too many of those. And evidently, that touched a nerve because he turned to me, and he used his usual Matt Jones line. John, I love you, but why are you so difficult to talk to all the time? Isn't there a time when we can just sit down and just talk about sports? <laughs> if that isn't the pot calling the kettle black, then I don't know what is. But subsequently, the next time I saw him, I, I, I bought him a brand spanking new box of candied M&M's. Was so. it the movie size where it's got 
10 times more calories in it. Uh, that would have been good. But no, it was a regular size, and I think Matt got a, a kick out of it. So we're, we're good, or at least I, I hope we're, we're good. Let's talk about some guys that make a little bit more money than the ones that we just got through talking about. Let, let's, let's talk about the Kentucky coaches since you've been around Kentucky. Let's start out with Joe B. Hall. Joe B. Hall, I think I once heard Joe B. refer to himself as the keeper of the flame. And he certainly did that. He kept that tradition going. And as you know, that's very, very hard to do to follow a legend. Well, it's easy to follow a legend. It's hard to follow a legend and be successful. And Joe was able to do that. He's just so respectful, so kind. I remember about 10 years ago, I saw him at either Walmart or Sam's, and he's just wheeling his shopping cart up and down the aisles looking for items. I mean, this is Joe B. Haw. It was kind of surreal. You know, I see him, and here's Joe B. Haw in, in Sam's Club, just shopping. Eddie Sutton. Oscar, we, we all have our demons. You have your demons. I have my demons. Uh, I think Eddie's demon came in the form of, of a bottle. And we frequently hear players who get injured and don't fulfill their potential. Eddie was a great coach. I mean, fantastic coaching basketball mind. And I would have loved to see how far he could have gone, what level he could have attained if he had just kept so-called injury-free, that, that injury addiction of, of alcohol is difficult. Rick Pitino. You had to go there, didn't you? <laughs> let, let me just say that I really, really appreciate what Rick did for, for Kentucky. From the Sports Illustrated cover piece, Kentucky shame, to winning the 1996 championship. I mean, that team was probably the greatest collection of talent on the floor at the same time that I've ever seen. They would go on the road and they would destroy opponents. They wouldn't just win. They would beat them by 20 points. Never seen anything like it. We may never see anything else like it. But I'm a loyalty kind of guy, Oscar. You don't go work for your enemy. And then if you do work for your enemy, you don't go throwing barbs at your previous employer. And I think Rick did that. Um, I'm, I'm a firm, I'm a Christian, I'm a firm believer in forgiveness and in important things of life. But sometimes you cannot forget. You can forgive but not forget. So uh, I'm not going to forget. In fact, it's just sports, so it's fun. I'm not even going to forgive Rick Patino. <laughs> I'm not going to forgive Trader Rick. <laughs> I cheered like heck against Louisville when he was the coach there. And I'll probably continue to cheer like heck against Rick Patino in any other endeavor that he encounters. You know, Rick had so many great qualities. But as you said, we all have demons. None of us are perfect. We have our shortcomings. And in spite of everything he did, uh, both good and bad, I would like to see there be a day when people could forgive. It probably won't happen. Probably the most disappointing thing to me, a combination of two, is his career, at least at this point in time, has ended like he did. And even more... Uh, 
depressing to me. I was hopeful that him walking off the floor the last time with his finger held high is not our lasting memory of him at Rupp Arena. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah. Let's go to Tubby Smith. Tubby, great coach, really, really civic-minded. I think the thing that upset about me, uh, that got me upset about Tubby, was it just seemed like that his style of play maybe changed a little bit over the years. When he was at uh, Tulsa and Georgia, it just seemed like his teams were a lot more up and down the court. And when he got to Kentucky, there was a lot more emphasis on, on his ball line defense and making the pass and getting the good shot. Nothing wrong with that, but it just didn't end up being very, very exciting. And that, together with uh, his inability to really, really get the top recruits later on in his career, I think that kind of led to a little bit of disgruntlement with, with the Tubby era. Billy Clyde Gillespie. Just a bad fit. Uh, you can there's you can coach basketball, and then you can coach Kentucky basketball, and there's a big big difference between the two. And how he even got hired here, I, it, it's it's a little bit mind boggling. I look back at that, and how could that have have even happened? Uh, you knew that he was abusive to players, and you knew that he was having trouble recruiting. I mean, who goes out and recruits these eighth graders and so forth? So everybody deserves a mulligan. We'll give Mitch Barnhart a, a mulligan for, for Billy. We've talked a lot about John Calipari already today, but just give me a line on how you would describe him to some stranger who had never heard of him. I'm still trying to figure it out. Uh, on one hand, he seems like a, just a regular down-to-earth guy. I mean, we're, we're the same age. I think he and I are both 58. He may be a couple months older than I am. Uh, from what I understand, we, we both want nothing more than to win Kentucky basketball games. Uh, we both like to eat meat. Uh, allegedly, he puts his pants on one leg at a time. So on one hand, he seems like an average Joe. But on the other hand, he's got this great basketball mind. And here's somebody who, together with Mike Krzyzewski, greatest basketball coach in college right now and so I'm still trying to kind of blend those those two together let's flip over to football for a couple minutes Fran Kersey well he was the architect of that 7017 always seemed to me just almost this cool collected individual always well-dressed and uh, spoke very, very fluently and eloquently. Uh, almost had this mafia Don persona. I, I always thought of him as a great actor. Yeah. In some of the Roaring Twenty movies, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. Because uh, he, he had that an, another Italian, you know, and he you, you could just see the smirk on his face like, I'm better than you are. <laughs> Jerry Claiborne. Jerry Claiborne, a great guy. Um, when his team won that second Hall of Fame ball. When they kicked that field goal and won it, I remember I wasn't there, but I was on my couch watching it, and I said to myself, this program has turned the corner. It was a good run for him. Bill Curry. Yeah. Bill Curry, really excited when he came on board. Unfortunately, style play just wasn't real, real conducive to what 
Kentucky wanted at that particular time. I think when he started employing the Elliott Uzalak offense and when you have Tim Couch waiting to come in and throw passes, uh, that's a recipe for disaster. How many? Innovator. Uh, great offensive mind. If you look at all of the Hal Mummy disciples who have gone on to have great football careers and successes, you realize what a so-called quote-unquote genius he was. And he was a charmer. I remember we had him come over to our dental school and speak to the dental school classes. And he charmed our pants off. So the dental community was full-blown support of Hal Mummy at that time. And he came at a time in which Kentucky football needed that excitement. Guy Morris. Guy Morris, really too short of a stint. Um, I just feel really, really bad for uh, his Alzheimer's and so forth. My mom passed away from, from dementia, so uh, the, the toll that that can take on somebody who is just so vibrant, it, uh, it really makes you think twice about mortality and such. Rich Brooks. Man after my own heart. A <laughs> successful a career in athletics and then retires off into the sunset and fishes, enjoys grandkids. That's living the dream, isn't it? I think he thought he was living the dream when he came out of retirement to come to Kentucky. <laughs> but you're right. This is the real yeah, This is the real, dream. real dream. Joker Phillips. Um, let's just give Mitch his second mulligan on Joker. Once again, uh, a good idea. Uh, it's always great to have transition during the process, but for some reason, Joker just couldn't get control of his team and the locker room. And uh, I'll tell you what, to, to be sitting there at that game against Vanderbilt when there are only like 20 other people in the stands, that could also be one of the saddest moments I've experienced as a Kentucky fan. Mark Stoops, a guy that uh, you can say what you really feel about him, and we won't let anybody in the neighborhood hear this. Mark Stoops <laughs> is the greatest football coach to have ever donned the uniform. That's it. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll close on a couple of things. I want to, I you know, you're, you're in the midst of this new career, you know, uh, Let's first talk about the talk here of late of reviving the Kentucky-Indiana basketball series. Your feelings on that? I'm all for it, but I think part of that could just be the nostalgic touch of having experienced all those games over the years. That was an annual rite of passage. I mean, that 75 team, when they knocked off Indiana in the tournament – one of the happiest days of my life. Uh, Bobby Knight. Somebody you you love to hate. I miss those times. If I ask you to give me the most five despicable coaches in Kentucky history, opposing coaches, give me five names. Bob Knight would be one of them, right? Um I'll go ahead and just put Mike Krzyzewski just, just because of the relationship between Kentucky and, and Duke. 
I think Dale Brown, when he threw that coat onto the logo, the Kentucky logo, um, I think that set his love affair with Kentucky back many, many years. Okay. Um, let's see. Some of the other coaches, I would think. Uh, Were you around for any of the Ray Mears era? I was. Uh, Ray Mears would, would have to be on there. Uh, funny you mentioned him because when, when I was little, I, I had these make-believe games that I would play out on this Nerf basketball goal that I had. It was a homemade goal. I'd cut the inside out of a Frisbee, and that would be my basketball goal. I'd take the, the netting from the bags of, that oranges come in, attach it. That would be the net. I'd wad up these, these uh, paper wads of paper. That would be my basketball. and I'd keep box scores of these games. Tennessee versus Kentucky was my favorite. I can't tell you how many times that Ray Mears and Stu Aberdeen, God rest their souls, got the beat down. <laughs> they must have lost 50 years in a row on those, those Nerf basketball courts. And then uh, number five, I'll, I'll have to say Rick Pitino, but that's just a personal opinion. The Kentucky-Louisville rivalry, both basketball and football. Yeah. How intense, how would you rate that among rivalries around the country? The basketball one, I will put number one simply because back with Duke, North Carolina, and others that might rival it, uh, they've got other distractions. Here in Kentucky, that's the only thing that we have. And funny you should mention that, Oscar. I actually went down to Dream Game 1 down in Knoxville. I was a student. Um, I was lucky enough to get the tickets for that. We had a lottery for that. And I remember driving down with a good friend, a colleague, uh, Dr. Tony Feck, who has a dental practice here in town. And we drove down to Knoxville, had a great time driving down, had a great time during the game. You know, we lost that overtime. Driving back, one of the worst nights of my life. We didn't say a single word to each other. We were just so disheartened by, by that loss. So it hits hard. Uh, it's a series that, that I look forward to every single year. Football, it's important, but not nearly the level the basketball is. Where do we go from here? You say you're living a dream. How long does the dream last? Hopefully for forever, Oscar. I, I want to keep doing this for as long as they'll let me, as long as there's interest. Um, my wife and I, we'd love to travel, so that obviously is going to take top priority in, in, in this day and age. I, I want to make sure that... Uh, I remember last, I think it was in January, where uh, you were tweeting back and forth, something we couldn't do not that many years ago, and you were talking about trying to pick up the Kentucky game. How in the world did you let your lovely wife talk you into being in Thailand during the middle of a basketball season. That, that's called true love, Oscar. Um, uh, my wife, I, I don't know if you know, she's, she's been, been sick over the past few years, and she's made a, a, a very, very nice recovery. So my priorities were to be able to take care of her that time. But even having said that, I'll admit that uh, 
it, it crossed my mind. I asked her several times, you sure you want to do this in January in the middle of basketball season? Now, you, you, I, I, I don't know if you were taking selfies or if you were having some tape, but there were a couple of times where you were where, walking down some city street in Thailand and you had your Kentucky shirt on and you were saying that some people recognize it. Yeah. Everywhere you go, there's always some sort of big blue connection. So I always want to support the colors. I want to support the university. Like I told you, uh, 11 years here, <laughs> I kind of jokingly say we're, we're kind of inbred. I'm an inbred orthodontist <laughs> from the University uh, of Kentucky. Uh, uh, tell us, share with us where people can read your writings. Cause I, I, I really find them fascinating and uh, sort of therapeutic. From the standpoint, it's about the game, but it's not about whether you won or lost. It's the experience. As Cal sometimes says, it's the journey, you know. That's exactly what I want to capture, Oscar. The easiest way to get a hold of me is through my Twitter feed. It's KY Kentucky, KY Huangs, K-Y-H-U-A-N-G-S. That's my Twitter feed. Uh, I also have a personal blog site. It's called Huang's Whinings. That's H-U-A-N-G-S-W-H-I-N-I-N-G-S dot com. You can read. I write about all sorts of stuff there. Anything I write UK sports related can be found on the Manchester Enterprise dot com site. Uh, I've also started writing for some uh, of these dot coms, Bluegrass Sports Nation specifically. I cover a lot of professional sports for them. I'm doing the Bengals. I've done some tennis for them. Uh, I do Legends games. I've done some Reds. I recently did the Indy 500 for them. So just, just all part of living a dream. And then I'm also starting into a book writing career. Alan Cutler, you know Alan. Uh, Alan recently retired. And he's just, he's just so funny. He's got a wealth of information, and he wanted to do a book, uh, just little vignettes about encounters he's had with, with people. And I'm going to kind of help him organize it. I'll, I'll, I'll put it that way. And it's, it's a lot of hard work. We're just in the beginning stages of it. But if the rest of the book is anything like the initial chapters are, then everybody is going to want to read this. In fact, I'm willing to say that if we ever get this done, there's going to be a Cutler the movie coming out. It's so, <laughs> so exciting. So uh, uh, that's another thing that uh, I just kind of want to dabble in, and I'm really, really looking forward to that. John, thanks for sharing with us all these memories, and hopefully your dream never ends. Um, Oscar, as part of being a journalist, I, I, I want to end with this. Uh, there's a little bit of tit-for-tat involved. So you were kind enough to invite me on this. Um, I want to give you what I think may be some breaking news on University of Kentucky basketball. Don't tell me that Shaquille O'Neal is coming out of retirement. No, but it's almost as big. Are you ready? We're ready. All right. We, we've talked about my Chinese roots, right? Um, Chinese people, they love basketball, and more importantly, Chinese people love winning basketball. So when you combine a nation of 1.4 billion people with the greatest tradition in the history of college basketball, 
that's a win-win. And my sources tell me that for the first time ever, the University of Kentucky basketball games are going to be broadcast this season in Mandarin Chinese through JMI, through the internet. Wow. So if that happens, then Big Blue Nation probably just acquired two or three million more followers. You know the implications of that, right? Cal always talks about recruiting out of the box. If that happens, there's probably some 15, 16-year-old future Yao Ming who's going to be listening to these broadcasts, who's going to become a Kentucky fan, and is going to have just this fantastic career down on the Rupp Arena floor. And just think, Tom Leach will have expanded his audience. <laughs> Ten million folk. Well, you know, with this coming on board, he's probably going to have to learn a few Chinese phrases. Well, I, I guess you're available, aren't you? Uh, I am. I am. Thank you, John. Oscar, like I said, living the dream. Please don't wake me up. Thanks for listening to Conversations with Oscar Combs, presented by Rafferty's and Double Dogs. You just heard where you can keep up with John online, but you can also keep tabs on the old man. All episodes of Conversations can be easily found at oscarcombs.com. If you're on the go, episodes of Conversations, they're available for you on your mobile device for free. Search for at Wildcat News in iTunes or in the Google Play Store and subscribe. All episodes will be automatically downloaded to your mobile device, and then that way you're guaranteed never to miss an episode of Conversations with Oscar Combs. Oscar's on Twitter. Follow him at Wildcat News. I'm Bo Robinson, and our thanks goes to John Wong for joining us, and my thanks goes to you for listening to this episode of Conversations with Oscar Combs, presented by Rafferty's and Double Dogs. And as always, go Big Blue.